The Secret is a best-selling self-help book that came out in around 2006 amidst the flurry of media exposure. Written by Ron DeBurn, The Secret has sold more than 19 million copies and has been translated into 46 different languages. The key, the secret to a good life, according to The Secret, is to spend time thinking about good things. The book makes the case for the law of attraction, a theory that says that positive thinking can bring life-changing results into your life. Better wealth, better health, better happiness. According to the secret, the universe, God, nature, whatever you want to call it, gives back to us whatever it is we throw out there. You think negative thoughts, well, bad things are going to happen to you. If you think positive thoughts, good things will happen. Now, Rhonda Byrne isn't the first person to teach this gospel. The power of positive thinking has been around for millennia. As long as people have struggled to create, to build the life of their dreams, others have told them that they had the power to make it happen. So I must ask, what are you trying to create? What are you trying to build in your life? Are you working to build a better home? Are you starting a new relationship? Are you working hard to raise healthy children who are kind and gracious and, Lord willing, sleep through the night? (laughs) Or perhaps are you working to ensure the financial security not only for yourself but for those who come after you? be honest, I spent the last few weeks working on creating a good Easter sermon. Come to think of it, would you mind helping me out? Could you send some positive vibes my way? Go ahead. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. I feel so much better. I'm mocking, if you couldn't tell. I'm not a big fan of the secret or of other positive thinking material that teaches us that we can shape our future all on our own. Don't misunderstand me. Seeing the glass is half full is a lot better than seeing it as half empty. But we weren't built to create our own well-being. Believing that we can create the life we want all on our own is dangerous business. A lot of things happened that first Easter morning. Sins were forgiven, thank goodness. The price was paid. Death was defeated. Love won out. On that first Easter, all these amazing things happened for us, but none of them were the most important thing that took place that morning. When the sun rose that first Easter and the stone was rolled away, something much bigger than that stone was moved aside. When the two Marys went to the tomb, they went to pay their respects to Jesus and to mourn his untimely death. But when they got there, they were surprised by what they saw. Out of nowhere, we are told, an angel appears to them who, after disposing of the guards with his dashing good looks, sits on a stone to tell them some good but disturbing bit of news. Don't be afraid, he says. I know that you came here looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified. He is not here, though. 
He has been raised from the dead. He is gone out ahead of you back to where you live, back to where you work, back to where you play. It is there, not here, there that you will see him. I was reminded the other day while working on this sermon that the Hebrew word for salvation literally means to broaden or to enlarge or to make space for. Because Jesus now lives, we are saved not only from sin and death and hell and all that. We are saved from something so much more important. We are saved from a narrow, closed worldview that says God can't do anything. There's no room for God to do anything unexpected and new. In the movie Pulp Fiction, there is this great scene near the end of the movie between the two main characters, two crooks named Jules and Vincent, played by Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta, perhaps his last good role ever. (laughs) Sorry. Any relatives of John here, I apologize. In the scene that comes right before the scene in the diner, Jules believes that he has been saved from certain death by the hand of God. Vincent, however, is not convinced. Vincent, I've just been sitting here thinking... About what, Jules? About the miracle we just witnessed. The miracle you witnessed, I witnessed a freak occurrence. What is a miracle, Vincent? An act of God? And what is an act of God? Uh, When God makes the impossible possible, but this morning, I don't think that qualifies. Hey, Vincent, Jules goes on, don't you see? That stuff don't matter. You're judging this stuff the wrong way. I mean, it could be that God stopped the bullets. It could be that God changed Coke to Pepsi or that he found my car keys. You don't judge stuff like this based on merit. Now, whether or not what we experienced this morning was an according to Hoyle miracle is insignificant. What is significant is that I felt the hand of God. God got involved. Once the angel rolled away that stone, the final obstacle, the final barrier between us and God was removed. Now that death has been defeated, there is nothing left to stop God from getting involved in your life. I hate to be the one to remind you of this on a beautiful Easter morning, but the cross puts everything on the table. Your work, your family, your finances, your health, your emotional well-being, all of it is on the table. All of it is open to God's healing and creative touch. Now that God has defeated the last great enemy, there are no walls we can build up or defenses we can fortify to keep God out of our lives. With the cross and its partner in crime, the empty tomb, God got involved in a whole new way, which means that nothing we consider sacred or our own is safe anymore. In the classic children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, four siblings, Lucy, Susan, Edmund, and Peter, find themselves in a conversation with a family of beavers, a conversation about the dangerous white witch and her great adversary and their last hope, Aslan, who the beavers report to the kids is now on the move. I apologize now for my horrible English accent. Tell us about Aslan, the kids cry out. Aslan? 
Why don't you know he's the king? He's the lord of the whole wood. He'll settle the white queen all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. Is, is, is he a man? asked young Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, Susan said. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king. Striving to secure your own salvation or to build your own version of a better tomorrow is work you are not equipped to do. Despite all our planning and preparing and working and good intentions, good thoughts, despite all the things we do to maintain the illusion that we have some semblance of control, life happens to each and every one of us. An addiction comes roaring back. A depression falls like night. A relationship ends too soon. A sickness creeps back in. A fairy capsizes. A war breaks out. A dictator tightens his grip. We plan, we prepare, we work, we set our intention, and then life happens to us, thwarting all of our plans. But, and here's the important word, that is not the end of the story. Not anymore. The cross puts everything on the table. Because the tomb is empty, there is no tragedy, no blunder, no death, no apparent dead end that God can't use to bring forth life. Kathy and Mike were great people. They were the kind of young couple everybody wanted to be around. They were authentic, they were honest, they were kind. It was my privilege to be the officiant at their wedding. We had so much fun in their premarital sessions. They so wanted to be the best couple, the best family they could be. When a few years after their wedding, I heard the news that they were pregnant, I was overjoyed. They'd been trying for a while, and it was such good news. Then we all got the news that something was wrong. The baby wasn't developing properly, and the prognosis was not good. For six months, Kathy was on bed rest. My wife Amy and I, as her pastors, visited her often to offer comfort and support, and the visits were not easy. Kathy and her husband had a lot of questions, and they shed a lot of tears. After young Cece was born, she only lived three short months. But during that wonderful yet difficult time, something happened. Something happened to that family, to the church, and to my wife and I. First of all, we fell in love with Cece. She was absolutely perfect. But something else happened. It was strange, but amidst all the suffering and the pain and the doubt and the uncertainty, and the anger, hope 
found fertile soil. Maybe it was the baptism service we had for Cece in the NICU. Maybe it was because Mike and Kathy could talk openly about their troubles. Maybe it was because the two of them had worked on their faith, on the relationship for years. Maybe it was some combination of all those things. Or maybe, just maybe, hope found fertile soil in all their pain because God was there in the middle of it all, building something wonderful out of all the broken and shattered pieces of their life. I find Matthew's account of the resurrection so interesting because in it, Matthew seems far less concerned about the resurrection than he is with where Jesus goes following the resurrection. The empty tomb is really just a prelude to the greater miracle. Even before the angels rolled the stone away, did you catch it? Even before the stone is rolled away, Jesus has left the building. He's already made a beeline for Galilee. As soon as the sun rose, he fled the tomb and headed straight into the lives of those most defeated by his death. He went into their lives to transform their lives, to rebuild their lives from the inside out. When I took my two oldest kids to see the Lego movie, I must be honest, I was not expecting much. All I really wanted was a good nap while they were entertained. (laughs) That was my expectation. But I did more than just stay awake. I had a really good time. It's a really good movie. Now, I don't want to spoil it for you. Yes, the Lego movie has a plot that can be spoiled. I don't want to spoil it for you, but on top of everything being awesome... That was painful for me, too. Don't worry. <laughs> Despite everything being awesome in Legoland, the movie, the movie also reminds us what is possible when a master builder gets hold of all the broken, discarded pieces that at first glance don't seem to fit. It shows us what happens, what is possible when a master builder gets hold of our broken lives. The secret to living the abundant life is not the law of attraction or living a life of purpose or working really hard to make something beautiful out of your life. The secret to living the abundant life is trusting that God is already in your life, building something wonderful and useful and beautiful out of all the scattered and broken pieces. Now, what does trusting God, trusting the master builder look like? Well, it's not easy to say. It's different for each of us. It looks like prayer sometimes. It looks like generosity. It looks like reading the Bible. It looks like kindness. It looks like compassion. It looks like humility. It looks like love. It looks like living with the belief that there is nothing that God can't use, nothing that God can't use to build something wonderful, and new. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. But he's not here. He's already in your life. He's back at your home right now, starting something quietly at first, but building something in your life where you work, where you play, where you go to school where you live. He is not here. 
He is out there taking all those broken and scattered and shattered pieces and building something lasting and wonderful and real. With the cross, everything, everything is on the table. Amen.